And Muslim clients tend to be very committed to their values. Welcome to another episode of Coffee with Kareem. I am your host, Kareem Sirajuddin. Thanks for tuning in. Joining me today is Michael Gaspiro. He's a licensed therapist practicing in Southern California. He's also part of the Breakthrough Clinic. What is exotic becomes erotic. The journey of same-sex attraction and the approach of reintegrative therapy. What I do want to advocate for is my clients who say no one is fighting for their rights. Support this podcast today at patreon.com slash coffee with Kareem. Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And I know you are a therapist and you are specializing in helping people with same-sex attractions find their truth and realign their lives with their values. Now, tell us more about why you think this matters and why it's important from the psychological and scientific uh, community. Well, I would say there's a two-part approach to this answer. First of all, there are people all over the world from every creed and culture that have a desire to live in accordance with their values and their faith, or just their values if they have no faith in particular. And these men and women all over the world that have same-sex attractions but don't adopt an LGBTQ identity seek treatment and support from therapists who can help them in this way. And I think that it's very reasonable to fight on behalf of the rights of those clients. I have a really clear vision of that because I see many clients every week from around the world with this issue. So we can take this from the macro to the micro. So we can see if you have the chance, like I have, to look at the individual person in front of you struggling with this issue and seeking support and encouragement, that for me is motivation enough to do this work, to help these people. And second, the second part of this is I personally have also experienced same-sex attraction, and I sought therapy when I was a young person to help me deal with this and found it to be an incredibly helpful component to my overall desire to walk in life and live accordance to my faith and my values. Mind you, it wasn't the perfect panacea for everything because counseling, as in for any condition or situation, is a treatment component, a very helpful one, albeit, but a treatment component of a larger, multifaceted approach to helping people live their best life, if you will. And I found therapy to be an incredibly helpful component of helping me live that way. So I then became interested in learning how to help other people in that same way. Wow, that's fascinating, Michael. Would you be, you know, would you honor us to share more about, a little bit more about your personal journey, you know, through sexuality, faith, spirituality, and, you know, this whole process that you went through, I mean, firsthand experience is always, you know, the most profound if, if you would uh, honor us with sharing a bit more about that journey. Yeah, sure. I can talk a little bit about that. So first, I'd like to highlight that I am a person of the Catholic faith. So I'm a Christian who follows the Catholic tradition. That said, as a therapist, I work with many Muslim clients. I have clients from multiple countries around the world. Um, Some of them are Islamic countries. Some of them are more Western countries. But I have clients of Christian background, non-religious background, and Islamic background. So I think it's important to know that this is not a, a single religious issue. In fact, most major world religions share a very common thread about their view of human sexuality. Mm-hmm. So I want to highlight that first of all. But then talking about my personal journey, I became very um, devout, I would say, in my faith throughout my childhood, through my parents and my involvement in various churches. 
And at the same time, by the time I was in middle school, I began to notice I had an attraction, a sexual attraction to the same gender, to men. And this became discouraging and confusing for me because my faith was important to me. And as a Catholic, we are taught that same-sex attractions in and of themselves are not necessarily sinful to have, but acting on them in various ways is. And so I began to struggle at that age with pornography and other aspects of my sexuality that were influencing me in a negative way. Mm. And finally, I had the courage, by God's grace, I would say, when I was a freshman in high school, to speak with a religious leader about this, and then subsequently my family. Um, And as I began to speak with my mother and uh, the priest I spoke with at this time about this issue, they encouraged me that I could seek counseling to help me deal with this. Mm -hmm. And I don't care who you are, if you're 15 years old, like I was, and dealing with massive confusing questions about sexuality, faith, anxiety, depression, seeking to meet with a counselor that understands your faith perspective and understands your values and doesn't minimize them or negate them, that's really essential to helping encourage client well-being. And that was help, what helped me to move through this very difficult time. In terms of uh, one last thing to add, in terms of the overall arc of my treatment, I found that over many years and over um, both using therapy and peer-led support groups and friends and family and faith and many other facets in my life, my same-sex attractions diminished significantly, and my openness to heterosexual relationships has increased significantly. Sexuality for me has been on a spectrum, Mm. where over time that spectrum began to change and shift, and my place on the spectrum moved. Mm. But it wasn't like a light switch, where I just turned a light switch on and then it turned it off again. And so we don't ask our clients or tell our clients or guarantee our clients anything like that. We share with them the kind of story of hope and encouragement like I just shared with you. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. I mean, I've also helped people who had similar uh, situation, nothing too severe. I usually refer them to the uh, breakthrough clinic. Um, But sometimes like when it's kind of surfacing, you know, and, you know, a person can start to address it and they may realize it has a lot to do with, let's say, the dynamic with their father. I have also experienced firsthand with others this kind of journey that you're describing. Right now, I actually wanted to go back to a couple of things around the field or industry itself, right? So in the past, it's been called reparative therapy, conversion therapy, um, and I I also was doing some research before our show, um, and there was a documentary that I watched uh, called Free to Love. I also, during my um, research, found that reparative therapy, even though I know that's not what the clinic you're working at is calling it, it's called reintegrative therapy, which I think is a much more uh, beautiful term. But reparative therapy or conversion therapy turns out that it's actually banned in several states, about 13 states in the U.S., We should be really clear. The only counseling laws that I am aware of are specifically addressing the use of conversion therapy for minors. So Mm. there are no current statewide laws banning any kind of therapy like this for adults. It's very important to highlight that because often people who are opponents of our work use that same figure you just uh, gave to me as an emphasis that this is banned places, which it is for minors, but adults everywhere still have the right, except for in certain cities that have tried to ban it, like New York City, Tampa, I believe. So, And those current cases are being filtered through the court systems right now, being uh, basically appealed by people who do this kind of work. So not to, to interrupt, I apologize, but no, I just no, wanted to I, clarify. No, no, I really appreciate you clarifying that. So from what I heard you say, 
it's banned only for minors. Right. And also, I'd like to highlight reparative therapy is now a trademarked term. Um, Dr. Nicolosi Sr. trademarked uh, or didn't trademark that at first. But Dr. Nicolosi Jr. finally finished the trademarking process after the passing of his father. Mm. So a lot of people that have used that term erroneously over the years to conflate it with shame or coercion techniques are going to have to begin to scroll back some of their use of that term. Mm. Um, And I agree with you that reintegrative therapy is a better term because it more clearly illustrates the type of work we're doing, even though I don't think reparative therapy in and of itself means what other people think it often means. But it's like it has that kind of pile of stigma associated to it, right? Yeah. Just like the exactly. word gay used to mean happy, but nobody thinks about that on its own now. Well, now we think about the political social movement as well. Right. From my understanding, adults, uh, let's talk about the state of California, because that's where we are. Okay. Um, right. Is it banned in the state of California for minors? And if I am 30 years old or 40 years old, and I come to a licensed therapist who's not at the breakthrough clinic, and I say, I want to work on reintegrative approach for my sexuality. By law, can a licensed therapist actually provide that? Yes, they can. There are two things to consider here. One, minors and one adults. So first addressing minors, there's a law called SB 1172 that was passed a few years ago and it was appealed and it was denied in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. That law basically more or less reduces the rights of therapists and clients to address unwanted same-sex attractions for minors seeking to resolve those towards heterosexuality. However, they can receive gay-affirming therapy. So if you want to talk about political bias, neutral therapy isn't the only thing allowed. You can provide gay-affirming therapy to a minor. So the hilarity of this paradox is, is beyond comprehension to me. Um, you know, if it's just so cl- clearly politically biased yeah. towards a philosophy that encourages the adoption of a gay identity as the only, air quotes, option for a healthy sexuality. Um, that to me is concerning in and of itself. And by the way, we might see that law overturned eventually in the Supreme Court because recently, as of last summer, the Supreme Court noted in a decision that the specific law, SB 1172, limited professional speech in an unconstitutional manner. So over time, we might see some of these laws challenged at the highest court of our, of our United States of America. Wow. But with that in mind, an adult can seek therapy in that way from a licensed professional in the state of California. There was a recent challenge last year that came through another law that was being considered that would have called these kinds of practices fraudulent business practices, but that law did not continue to be pursued by the person who introduced it into the legislature in the state. And so as currently, there is no law at all that restricts this for adults, except as a therapist, you know that we have our own ethics codes. So I would argue that the ethics codes of our organizations have also limited some of our ability to practice within their Mm. scope. So we have to challenge as therapists like myself, the ethics codes of our organizations, because we believe they are politically biased and undermine the rights of clients of faith-based traditions. Right. Because from what I was learning or researching is that there's only one path, affirmative therapy. You're saying that you could, so that's the only one that's actually structured and verified by the APA today. The, The APA basically says 
more or less, and you can look in their 2014 handbook on psychology or on sexuality, and they, the American Psychological Association put out this handbook, the APA that does the DSM-5, that's the American Psychiatric Association, but more or less, they have said you shouldn't do reintegrative, excuse me, they said you shouldn't do conversion therapy. They don't even understand what reintegrative therapy is, nor could they speak to it very well, most of the people that I know from the side that oppose our work. They assume we're doing aversive things like shame or coercion techniques, which we do not do. But with that in mind, essentially, there is nothing about what we're doing that is trying to change people's sexual orientation. Mm. We are addressing what we believe are underlying factors that contribute to the development of same-sex attraction. And there is nothing that I know of that uh, prohibits me from doing that, according to the APA. They do acknowledge that sexuality is fluid. And they do acknowledge that there are factors such as sexual abuse that can contribute a causal relationship to the development of same-sex partnering in adulthood. Mm -hmm. Then they go on to say, but you should not address this in therapy. (laughs) That's fascinating. It's to me a giant contradiction within a contradiction. I think it's politically motivated. And I think, honestly, it's important to note that 30 years of research has failed to find a genetic or biological link for the development of same-sex attractions and not for lack of trying. Now, we know there's some genetic predisposition, some biological predisposition that might contribute some, but we know there is no gauging pretty much definitively. And the LGBT community, in terms of the researchers on their behalf, have started to admit that and say, we need to stop propagating this. This is bad science. And that's why they've kind of fallen back on it's, it's all about love principle. It goes back to a philosophy. Right. Or, a or, or a subjective, a subjective truth and yearning to be fulfilled, because essentially that's what I feel is, is happening. We are getting more individualistic dogma in our society. And that sometimes when we overemphasize fulfillment of individual needs and subjective experiences, we actually can be diminishing the overall well-being and health of the collective. Right. I think that's fair to say. And, and we know we, when you and I are having this conversation, we have shared values and we are not of the same religious background, right? And I have clients who are of no religious background and have shared values. So people that try to make this about a religious fundamentalism, it, it's a straw man fallacy. It's, it's providing the weakest version of our argument and then tearing it down with general rhetoric that says we're trying to harm people. No one's trying to harm people. Everyone's trying to help people. And I even acknowledge that the LGBT community are arguing in a way that they hope is helping people. And I get that. And I don't propagate any kind of judgment or shame towards anyone that identifies as LGBTQ. What I do want to advocate for is my clients who say no one is fighting for their rights, their right to live according to their values. There is a client I have who's a medical doctor of no faith. He has no faith. He, I would say he's agnostic sort of in general towards the idea of God and doesn't really believe in God. Right. But he says that his biology and his commitment to science and his awareness of his anatomy have shaped his belief that he is not designed for sexual encounters with men. Mm-hmm. And so he seeks therapy to help him resolve some of these unwanted attractions. Are you telling me that's not his right to do that? Yeah. No, of course it's his right. And I think it's very important that, as you're saying, this isn't about harming anybody else or judging or going against the LGBTQ. It's about saying, look, let's take those your intention to help people and to help people live according to their values and their needs. 
but make sure it's going on this on the other side too right for this population yeah. that you're addressing that's what we're saying here and we're not necessarily in I, I mean again this is what makes america great is you can be catholic i can be muslim he can be atheist he can worship you know glass if he wants but we all get to do what we want right as long as we're not breaking the law and hurting others and similarly with our sexuality if you want to sleep with this or sleep with that or attracted to this or this or that i mean that's fine but somebody now who says i have experienced the homosexual lifestyle and i don't uh, i want to explore otherwise why are they stigmatized or why are they not getting the same media and push to get the resources and help and support and solidarity just like LGBTQ? Surely they're also experiencing all the same things, right? Bullying, confusion, alienation, difficulty with coping, etc. That's all applying to a person who's also trying to, you know, flow from homosexuality more towards heterosexuality, right? I, I agree with you. And in a client-therapist relationship, the client is in the driver's seat. They set their own goals, and we help them achieve them as a therapist. It's not our right to determine our client's goals. And even most people on the political left or right would agree on that, that therapists and clients should be allowed to determine their own goals. Like you said, this is what helps make America great. And the government has no business interfering in private client-therapist relationships right. by dictating what those goals should be, especially when those goals are legitimate and in line with the client's values and anatomy and hopes for their life and what they see their life being. The irony here is that the same people that seem to be most opposed to our work insist on everyone else agreeing with their right to choose their own sexual path or their own gender expression, as long as you do it in a way that's acceptable to them. Mm -hmm. So this is where tolerance, like you mentioned, should be received and given on both ends of the spectrum. Right. I almost feel like it's a, it's almost like a type of sociopolitical threat when it's like, whoa, 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 what do you mean? There are people who leave, you know, homosexual identities and experience heterosexual, because that makes the whole movement almost lose a substance to, in a sense right? There's that threat. But like you're saying, I mean, and I was talking with Dr. Jeff Joseph Nicolosi about this, like, even, forget about religion and God and all that stuff. Just from a purely scientific, objective, biological reality, you know, homosexuality is not, does not serve any of the principles or properties of natural selection and evolution as it's stated in its own theory, right? It doesn't help pro propagate the species. And certainly if it was um, genetic, then it must be being passed on through breeding with between male and female, right? So there must also be a uh, suggestion that even if there was same-sex attraction or homosexuality in the past, there was at least a part of the man that was able to breed with women. It's not just about love and rainbows all the time. According to the uh, uh, Center of, of National Disease and, and research on uh, the different health issues, there's also a lot of diseases and health issues associated with this specific population, which as people who want to protect uh, others from harm, we also have to include that subject matter as well. It's not all just, you know, love and, and, and pixie dust. We just, I just feel like we all have to just try our best to be fair, holistic, and see the whole picture of whatever side of the argument or debate or need we're on, right? And that's not always happening because I feel like one specific area of the discussion is where all the lights are. And if you try to move the light anywhere else, it's like all of a sudden you're, you know, scrutinized or 
attacked or maligned or whatever it is. And it's very difficult to have true freedom of speech, freedom of faith, and freedom of science uh, when we're, we're getting, you know, sometimes this type of, let's say, political pressure. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. So can you tell us more, Michael, about your Muslim clients specifically? Because um, I'm sure there's some Muslim, a lot of Muslims in the audience. And what are some of the common themes you find with Muslim clients? I mean, I work with also Muslims with sexual addictions, specifically with pornography. And of course, there are a lot of themes of, you know, intimacy, attachment theory, you know, emotional security, um, neglect, abuse. Some of these things have occurred in the person's life and pornography has become kind of the outlet for that, whether it's fantasy, coping and regulating negative emotions. Do you think that this is a similar theme with some of the Muslim clients you're working with uh, in your clinic? In other words, does it have to do a lot with emotional intimacy or attachment theory or lack of uh, in the people's families? Uh, or what, what are some of the trends that you've observed? So a couple of things. First of all, I would say, generally speaking, the trends that I see in our clinic as a whole are that most of the men that come to us have experiences of trauma, neglect, abuse, or other behavioral addictions that contributed to why they have same-sex attraction, or it's contributing to the continuation of their same-sex attraction. And as we seek to resolve those underlying issues, we don't seek to change their sexual orientation. The sexual feelings they have towards men often shifts as a result of that. Mm. When I say that, it's important to highlight it because we're using evidence-based treatments, standard psychotherapy methods such as let's say EMDR is one. I'm a level one and level two trained EMDR therapist. And those treatments are evidence-based for trauma, addictions, and other relationship issues. And the sexuality is a per- on the periphery at that point. So that's important to start with. So in that way, my uh, Muslim clients are very similar to my non-Muslim clients. Many of them experience a long-standing issue with attachment issues in their family, mm. For instance, difficulty attaching with the father when they're younger or over-involved in meshed relationships with their mothers. Commonly, I also see a pornography addiction or compulsive pornography and masturbation that further solidifies either a gay identity or an understanding of themselves as stuck with the orientation that they're predominantly experiencing. Mm. And this is common across cultures and countries, because I know the Islamic faith tradition spans very um, many countries and cultures. I have Islamic clients in Saudi Arabia and Dubai and Australia. I've seen clients from many different cultures, and, and Muslim clients tend to be very committed to their values, particularly to the value of what it means to have a family. And what I think is so sad is when people don't honor that commitment. I have seen the light come to life in a client's eyes when they start to understand that they don't have to resign themselves to being a social pariah, to being on the fringe of society where they're not able to marry. And I'd like to highlight that the Islamic community tends to be very affirming of men that seek to resolve unwanted same-sex attractions. So while possibly people in the political elite are naysaying this movement, at the ground level, I have found my clients to seek and and receive support from the men in their communities, either their fellow brothers at the mosque they attend or the people from their work communities that really do understand and support their desire to pursue heterosexuality. And so... This is definitely one of those themes is 
neglect, abuse, there is difficulty um, with emotional attunement with, let's say, the father or the masculine energy. And usually there's also an overwhelming involvement of the mother. So are you telling us that what happens sometimes in these um, scenarios is there's over-identification or attunement to the feminine energy versus the masculine? Or how can you maybe explain to the layman more how that works exactly? How come if I'm not close to my dad, it could result in, let's say, an erotification of the masculine energy over time? Sure. So I want to add a caveat here. Yes, sir. You know, we work in theoretical, in the, in the world of theory, and, and a lot of this is supported by evidence, both anecdotal and research-based. However, it's important to know that regardless of the development cause, the developmental, let's say, etymology of, of this issue, it is still a client's right to choose how they live. And I, and I highlight that because you can argue until you're blue in the face with somebody that disagrees with you about the biological or nurture versus nature components of this issue. And they might just continue to plug the ears and say, no, 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 I don't believe you. There's a gay gene. And even in that case, I want to take the conversation back to, fine, who are you to tell me how to live my life or tell my clients how to live their lives? So that's really important, first and foremost. Second of all, I'll say, yes, there seems to be some common themes about what you've mentioned including particularly by around age two or three, it is an additional developmental task of young boys to disidentify some with mom and to reattach in a new way with dad for various reasons. Maybe biological temperament contributes somewhat, maybe emotional distance. Maybe it could be that dad isn't around or he's just not able to connect with that particular son in that particular way because he's preoccupied with other children. There are so many factors that could differ from family to family. But if that attachment shift doesn't happen, combined with other factors in the environment, we believe it can contribute over time to the eroticization of what is less familiar. What is exotic becomes erotic, we like to highlight. Mm. So if the familiar is the feminine realm, and most of my clients, they talk to their mom, even as adults, six times a week, seven times wow. a week. Dad is really distant. Haven't talked to him in a month and a half. I mean, I see this over and over again. Or dad was never there at all. Mom was alone because dad left. If that is the familiar, that is no longer exciting and mysterious to you. The feminine is meant to be exotic, mysterious, and something we as men pursue because we want to explore its unknown realms. But if you are overwhelmed emotionally by women at an age when you're also not well supported by men, that can contribute, be a factor, I'll say, in the, contrib- in the development of these feelings. I want to also say one last thing before I, I turn the mic back over. We are involved in the process of naming, not blaming. Mm. We are not here to blame mom or dad. And God only knows the full story about the development of same-sex attraction. We have to have humility and accept that we don't know perfectly about any of these issues, but we do know our values. And we do know our clients' rights to live according to those values. And we do know that therapy can help. And there are many studies that have shown sexuality is fluid. It can be moved on the spectrum towards heterosexuality. And therapy can be a helpful part of that. But the APA, the American Psychological Association, continuously ignores these studies because of their political agenda. Hmm. Now, I have heard from um, you know, licensed therapists, even doctors – 
that, for example, like they know somebody um, who said, look, I don't know if I can work. If I'm going to work with a homosexual, you know, they wanted to do reintegrative therapy. But, you know, their clinic said only affirmative therapy is the way to go. And then like they lost their job or lost their license. Have you ever heard of stories like this? And why would that happen if you are allowed to practice reintegrative therapy? Uh, I don't know about stories about that in California specifically. I do remember at my graduate school training, we heard about a story coming out of Michigan, I believe, where a counseling student tried to pull herself from treating a gay couple, uh, a gay identified couple, I should say, because she said it went against her values to provide couples therapy for a homosexual couple. And I believe she was kicked out of her graduate program. I have another friend named Andrew, who's a therapist in Pennsylvania, who almost was unable to complete his graduate degree because of a similar issue. Um, so there are examples I know, particularly in graduate schools, but it's not surprising that academic circles tend to be less patient with this, given the trend we've seen in colleges towards uh, limiting the freedom of ideas at times about sexuality in particular. Yeah. In the professional realm, I have not heard of that happening necessarily, but it very well could have. I, If that does happen, especially in any state in the United States of America, I don't know about other countries, with adults, that is abhorrent to me. I know New York City has passed a ban on therapy to help people resolve unwanted and same-sex attractions through conversion therapy. But we try to make the argument through our clinic that we don't do conversion therapy anyway. Right. So you know, they try to ban something they don't understand and then conflate what conversion therapy is with what people like me and the Breakthrough Clinic do, mm. which are not one and the same thing. You know, There is no point in time in which we do anything to do behavioral I don't know if the term behavioral therapy is going to come across well in this podcast, but it means telling people to do specific things to help create an aversion response. You know, we're not giving people nausea medication. Like or negative things. reinforcers, that kind right. of thing. We're not negative doing anything like that. Yeah, we, we just want to really focus the conversation on what we are doing. Right. What we are doing is providing evidence-based treatment for trauma and behavioral addictions and relationship issues to help clients deal with the things that are contributing to these. And otherwise, people, maybe from other clinics, I don't know if they've been fired or dealt with some kind of political bullying, I think it's important we stand up for them. Yeah, I mean, I almost feel like reintegrative therapy is essentially, it's a type of, it could even almost be like a type of trauma therapy, or it's just therapy. It just happens to consider central to the exploration one sexuality and emotions and relationships and whether or not that is flowing or tuning you know you're attuning to a different version or form of that you know why would people and, be against that you know it sounds to me like you're just doing what most therapists do anyways and some people have said you know i don't have any trauma or relationship issues and i am gay and i'm happy then don't come to our clinic so, right. you know, no one's forcing anyone to walk in the doors of our clinic. We're treating people who on their own will and volition have decided that their sexual feelings don't work for them. And mind you, it's important to also highlight there are a whole variety of sexual proclivities that are problematic for people in their adult lives, right. not just homosexuality. The only thing about homosexuality that's different is the APA and their infinite wisdom in the 1970s decided that it was no longer an issue for people because they said it was so. In other words, it went from being a disorder to not a disorder due to a vote. And more or less, it is a philosophical, not a medical statement to say that homosexuality is a normal variant of sexual behavior. That is a philosophical belief. And many of our clients don't hold to that belief. 
they do not find it to be a normal variant of sexual expression and thus choose not to engage in it or choose to leave it as a pattern in their life. Right. And we believe it is their right to do so, and it's our job as therapists to help them do that mm-hmm. in ethical, responsible, and evidence-based ways. Right. And you, this approach does have research and data to suggest its effectiveness, true or false. There is good data available. There are a couple of studies that have come out recently, a Centero study, um, another one, the PILA study that's coming out soon to show that people who have gone through therapy uh, to address sexual orientation issues towards exploring their heterosexual potential benefited not only towards the ability to develop heterosexual feelings, but their overall sense of well-being increased, Mm -hmm. which completely flies in the face of the narrative that anybody who seeks this kind of treatment is going to become negatively impacted by Depressed, it. Depressed, suicidal, that's, you know, some of the stereotypes connected. And you know that there is risk associated with any therapeutic treatment. Mm-hmm. Couples therapists will tell you the first thing they do in their informed consent is let the couples know, this might lead to your divorce. This might not help. This right. might actually hurt things. And so you can't do therapy without uh, any risk. There's always risk involved. <clears throat> but some of that risk is mitigated through informed consent, which means telling clients what to expect from therapy and giving them realistic expectations, and two, emphasizing that this is their treatment goals. You are going to help them with their treatment goals. You're not going to impose your, your treatment goals onto them. Exactly. I mean, that's the diff- the big difference here is it's like any other therapeutic process. So, Michael, tell us more about this documentary called Free to Love. Sure. In the documentary Free to Love, we like to highlight that first of all, I, I, you'll, if you go watch a documentary, I'm in it. I provided my testimony. I did not receive therapy from any of the therapists in the video, but I chose to participate because I received a similar therapy, a reintegrative therapy from a different therapist uh, over the years that I sought therapy. So I'm in this documentary because I wanted to make sure people had the chance to hear people's stories like mine, which said, the government doesn't determine my values. Therapy helped me live according to my values. And I experienced a reduction in my same-sex attraction and behaviors and an increased heterosexual potential. Hmm. I currently am single, but I date women. I'm interested in dating women, and I'm seeking the potential to be married one day. I didn't think that was possible. I truly did not believe that was a possibility for me. And therapy was a major component in helping to realize that possibility in my life. And the documentary highlights several other men with similar stories, as well as highlighting that there are many people on a different end of the political spectrum who, when engaged intellectually on this issue, start to understand the complexity and the nuance with which they have avoided it for so long. So, for instance, just admitting that sexuality is fluid which often the LGBTQ community emphasizes, should emphasize then that it can be fluid in either direction. It shouldn't be demanded that it is a one-way fluidity. It hits a dam. It can only be fluid. (laughs) Yeah, you can only be fluid towards homosexuality according to the LGBT narrative. Thank you so much for your um, inputs today, sir, and I hope we stay in touch. Yeah, absolutely. And I hope it was helpful. I hope you have enough for an episode. Yeah, for sure. But I still want you on again. Okay, (laughs) let's talk about it. Okay, sir. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Support this podcast today at patreon.com slash coffee with Kareem. 
Don't forget to leave us a lovely review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you tune in. If you'd like to work with me or somebody on my team, please visit nudehuman.com for personal, spiritual, and relationship enhancement services.